lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. Todd Erzin is here with me, as is Aaron McIntyre. You're here too. Let us know who you are and what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. You can email us, Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, and Gab. Follow us on Twitter, at Steve Day Show. And if you're looking for clips of the program, head over to rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. Our Rumble account, by the way, since we've started really pumping that exclusively the last few weeks, it's, it's doing cooking. pretty well. We're up to, we're pushing uh, 10,000 subscribers here now. And we were like, had nothing on that just a few weeks ago. So... Also, probably should give a hat tip to Donald Trump for joining Rumble. That'll probably help everybody's traffic, I would imagine. Yep. All right, so rumble.com slash Steve Day Show is where you can go if you want to get free clips of the program uncensored. There's other places you can go to get free clips, but these are of the uncensored, unfiltered variety. All right, rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. Uh, quickly, last night, um, I did uh, and. I said yes, first of all, because I just couldn't believe any Republican Party event, officially sanctioned GOP event, would invite me to come and be its speaker. Because it has been at least six years since that has happened, right? And so when a, a rural Iowa county, salt of the earth people, asked me to come, good hour and a half drive, and, and Todd, you know what's my basic policy. Not to do hour and a half drives. Yeah, I, I, unless <laughs> unless you know, I I tend to not go anywhere within a five square mile radius. My wife wanted to try this new martini bar downtown last summer, and I realized I'd not driven downtown into that area since I did a symposium for Politico during the 2012 Iowa caucus cycle. That's how long it had been since I'd been in that area of our downtown. Area, Des Moines metro area. Okay. I totally Was that the that. East Village? <laughs> yes. I don't know what it's called. Oh. Is that what it's called now? I mean, we just called it downtown. <laughs> yeah. That's what we called it back yeah, in those days. Yeah, that's where all the commies hang out. That's oh, okay. why you haven't been uh, there. That could also be. Maybe I'm just not safe there. But none of them are armed, so it's okay. But um, uh, I, I, I just wanted to see what kind of folks, what kind of reckless Republican Party is just going to throw... Caution to the wind and not even care by inviting me to come and speak. Not really knowing, um, you know, it was in Hampton, Iowa last night. Not really knowing what we what we would get. This is also a busy season in Iowa, you know, between farming, um, summer sports are going on. A lot of states, their high school sports seasons are done. Baseball, softball and stuff get, in, get their own season in Iowa. And so that's all in the heart of those things right now, you know. Um, and it's a Monday night. That's not typically, hey, we're bored. Let's go do something night, right? I was told by the organizers that we could have had at least 200 people show up for this thing last night. It was packed. I mean, they they ran out of chairs. Um, And I I don't know if they've ever had an event, certainly not since the 2016 Iowa caucus cycle, um, in a county like this where that many people would show up to it. And it was just a ton of energy, a lot of salt of the earth people. I I got a lot of questions about the eggnog. So it was clearly a lot of people that do listen to us um, here locally. Um, But what really stuck out to me was there were multiple elected officials in the audience. 
there were multiple other uh, GOP organizers in the audience. And, and yeah, I mean, a lot of these people knew me from WHO because I helped organize audiences like this for several years, but it's been 10 years since I was on the local radio here in, in, on WHO. That, that's a bit of a, that's a bit of a spell. That's a right? gap. Yeah, it is. Okay. And, um, the, what really stuck out to me was the level of energy and the, and the want to in that room that there were, there's a lot of people that want to do something other than let's just pull the lever for team GOP again. I mean, this is your quintessential Trump kind of crowd, working class, rural, um, you see, you know what I'm saying? Sure. And they were totally fine. I mean, so my overall presentation was about free speech and why if we lose that issue, we're going to lose every other issue because it's going to take away our ability to uh, inform and connect and, and so that we can organize. And then we opened it up for questions just to see what kind of questions would I get at a GOP event. And there were, I mean, a lot of questions that, you know, even people like, hey, I thought Trump was robbed, but I, he's got to make a case to me. I mean, we're not just going to cancel a primary process so he can run for a third lame duck term. Um, just a lot of a lot of people that are uh, they're ready. You know, I'll use this expression that um, enemy media loves. These Republicans were ready to pounce. Okay, all right, and we love that about you. I, I can't speak for everyone else. But if there were more pouncing Republicans, we'd, we'd still consider ourselves those kinds of people. I'd still be a registered Republican. <laughs> maybe that's why. I haven't been a registered Republican in about six years. So maybe that's why I've not been invited to speak at a GOP event. I guess they're kind of crazy like that. They might want people that actually belong to their party to come and speak at their events. Uh, that's a little nuts to have that sort of a standard, mm-hmm. isn't it? But um, these were it, uh, pouncing Republicans are my kind. I, I ended up walking away because it was clear that there wasn't enough pouncing was going to go on. I don't, I don't mean like media pouncing, like we put out a headline countering some stupid libtard, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, fever dream. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like pounce, pounce. Like, you know, I'm talking boots on necks, wailing, gnashing of teeth, lamentation of women. That's the pouncing I'm looking for here. This crowd was ready to pounce. All that's missing to me, the way you describe it, is the Avengers Assemble music, yes. for, music from Endgame. Yeah, they were they were ready to pounce. And if, we're, if, if we can draw that level of energy in rural Iowa on a Monday night, on a gorgeous summer night, by the way, it wasn't like it was oppressively yeah. hot, let's get inside. I mean, I mean, it was a gorgeous night. Plenty of high school events going, you know, high school sports, and that's big in Iowa, but particularly in rural Iowa. To get that level of crowd, I think is anecdotally indicative of the fact that the energy level within our base across the country is high. And I think what that tells you, if you are a Republican elected official, you would like to continue being one, or you would like to one day become one. They're looking for pouncers. They're, you know, um, I heard Ron DeSantis's name a lot in rural Iowa last night. They're looking for pouncers. They want you to pounce. They want you, they're looking for people that are looking for body counts, looking uh, to seek whom they may take on and confront and defeat. So that was kind of the message I got uh, from this event last night. All right, coming up on the show here today, 
Um, bottom of the hour, Ned Ryan of American Greatness is going to join us. He's got a brand new book out about the American Revolution. We'll talk about that and what's going on in, uh, con- in, in contemporary matters with Ned coming up at the bottom of the hour. Next hour, we take a further dive into our own book, Fauci and Bargain. Uh, the most powerful and dangerous bureaucrat in American history. We do that for fake news or not. We got to be winding that series down. Are we almost to the end now? We have two chapters and the conclusion. All right, so three more weeks, including this one left. All right. And then for Pop Culture Tuesday, we had family movie night on Sunday and we watched The Greatest Showman. For, a, for me to like a musical means that it's, it's a phenomenal film. Like it's got to be like Footloose, Grease, um, uh, Wizard of Oz. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Meet me in St. Louis. So it's got to be at that level. Otherwise, once they just start singing and dancing and stuff, I'm just kind of like, that's a tap out for me, basically. All right. And I think The Greatest Showman is at that level. I think it's an absolutely wonderful film. I took to Zoe to see it on a daddy-daughter date when it came out for Christmas like four years ago. She decided to watch it again for family movie night. And, and I had a a cultural, political epiphany watching this film. And I didn't, I I haven't told you guys what it is. It may have no merit or worth. You may laugh at me and you may pounce, by the way. We, again, we like pouncers. Even if you're pouncing on me, pounce, pounce away. We love Republicans pouncing on this show. We get mad when they don't. All right. But um, uh, I want to throw something out there and I want to see if you guys think there's any merit to this idea or if I just got to I get just caught up in the showmanship okay well this is an ask of me to sit by that is far better than the last one you made me watch whatever that was about. father of four daughters the yeah. greatest showman's a little more your oh. speed than abducted in plain sight. Y- yes uh, yeah <laughs> other than other than the frozen phase that of course also impacted your family the chick it. star the chick the, yeah. the girl version of star wars the, yes this yeah. is the number two movie in terms of movies that have been played on loop in my house yeah uh, yeah it's just a it's it's, it's a great. great film with a great message yes but there's a message one of the messages of this film, I wonder, well, you know, I'm going to stop and, and we'll just discuss it for Pop Culture cool. Tuesday a little bit later on. But before we get to all of that, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by defunding the police. Oakland, California became the latest Democrat run city to slash their police budget, this time by $17 million. This comes after the city cut the budget last year by millions of dollars as well for the police. Oakland Police Chief LaRon Armstrong says crime is up across the board. It now has us currently at 65 homicides for the year. It's a 90% increase compared to last year. Our shootings are up over 70% this year. Our robberies are up 11% this year. It's been 1,300 robberies in this city already this year. At the White House, Press Secretary Jen Psaki says, actually, it's the Republicans who are defunding the police. Something one of the advisors said this weekend, Cedric Richmond, he said, Republicans defunded the police by not supporting the American Rescue Plan. But how is it that that is an argument uh, to be made when the president never mentioned needing money for police to stop a crime wave when he was selling the American Rescue Plan? Well, the president did mention that the American Rescue Plan, the state and local funding, something that was supported by the president 
president. A lot of Democrats who supported and voted for the bill could help ensure uh, local cops were kept on the beat in communities across the country. As you know, didn't receive a single Republican vote. In other news from the White House, Saki says a priority for the administration's rural policy is... 500,000 electric vehicle charging stations nationwide. That's what this would help support with a focus on our highways and rural and disadvantaged communities. The FDA is adding a warning about heart inflammation to the Pfizer and Moderna COVID vaccines. The FDA added the warning to the patient and provider fact sheets for those vaccines. They still say the benefits of the vaccine outweigh the risks. This comes after news that the country of Sweden is not allowing children under the age of 18 to be vaccinated. And now this, the organization Right Wing Watch, which exists solely for the all but stated purpose of deplatforming right of center voices in America, announced yesterday that YouTube had permanently suspended their account for repeated violations of the platform's community standards. Further, they lost their appeal to YouTube to bring back their channel. Less than 12 hours later, however, YouTube reinstated their account, claiming it was all one big mistake. So right-wing watch can go ahead playing the de facto role of censor for the radical left. Speaking of censors, here's what Nova Scotia, Canada's chief medical officer, Dr. Robert Strang, says the purpose of banning large gatherings is... Uh, you know, bringing lar- large numbers of people together uh, it, it can present some risk. We'll, we'll continue to look at that. Uh, but I think the other purpose of the injunction is to, uh, is to uh, you know, prevent, uh, you know, groups that are... Sp- Spreading, uh, uh, deliberately spreading uh, false information that can, add, but, but can actually create risk. The information itself, if listened to, creates risk to the public as well. Fox News's Tucker Carlson says the NSA is spying on him and his program. Yesterday we heard from a whistleblower within the U.S. government who reached out to warn us that the NSA, the National Security Agency, is monitoring our electronic communications and is planning to leak them in an attempt to take this show off the air. The whistleblower, who is in a position to know, repeated back to us information about a story that we are working on that could have only come directly from my texts and emails. There's no other possible source for that information, period. The NSA captured that information without our knowledge and did it for political reasons. Checking in on the aftermath of the New York City Pride Parade. For those of you listening, what we're seeing is a city block that looks like it's a notch above a landfill. Learning Chinese today, today's phrase is, there's a joke in there somewhere about not understanding what trash receptacles are. The NFL now says football is gay, lesbian, transgender, and all things rainbow jihad. That's a new commercial the NFL put out in the aftermath of the league's first openly homo player announcing he likes dudes last week. And finally, an Australian official speaks out about that country's newest lockdown. It is uh, both a safe place and a dangerous place. We must treat this uh, new world order, new, this new world of COVID, we must treat this new world of COVID even in our own homes with a high level of care and caution. And that's what happened while we were away. Ah, yes, when they say the quiet part aloud again.
Uh, Aaron's Montage brought to you by the award-winning pro-life film Order of Rights. It's available right now on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, iTunes, Google, uh, Vudu, Vimeo, and more. You can check out the trailer at orderofrightsmovie.com. Uh, that's orderofrightsmovie.com. Uh, it's a unique film. Don't let the fact that uh, yours truly has a couple of cameos in it dissuade you from watching. Otherwise, it's interesting. Uh, but uh, this film takes on a unique angle uh, to the pro-life battle uh, as a father goes to court to save his unborn child and in order to do so has to prove whether or not that child is a person all right orderofrightsmovie.com is where you can go again that's orderofrightsmovie.com it won most inspirational film at the 2019 international christian film festival uh, check it out itunes apple amazon prime google voodoo vimeo and more or see the trailer at orderofrightsmovie.com. Coming up in the overtime today, a reunion with our old friend, Hall of Famer-in-waiting, Kurt Schilling, will be joining us as we go headlong into the latest with Woke Sports. We'll do that with Kurt Schilling in the overtime today for our Blaze TV subscribers, which you'll get to see. We'll record that for you right after the show today, and then it will be uploaded later today at blazetv.com slash dace. You can watch then on demand on uh, whichever is convenient for you. If you want to become a Blaze TV subscriber, go there as well to become one and get a discounted subscription today at blazetv.com slash dace. Again, that's blazetv.com slash dace. I mean, Aaron's montage as it normally is. And by the way, I got a ton of comments last night, Aaron, people who uh, just, if they have no other time, they make sure to tune in just to get the montage, to get updated on everything going on. Oh, so got a lot of compliments about that last night. But the montage, as always, is loaded. So I'm not even sure where to begin. Where do you guys think we ought to start with this? Hmm. Oh, how about, can we comment on uh, Tucker? Yeah. And the NSA, you're not paranoid if, 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 if they're really watching you. If, if I had gone, if I gone alone, that's probably where I would have started. You know, I need to push back here on Tucker Carlson a little bit. Okay, I mean, it's not like we have any kind of an established precedent that shows that a political operation that includes the name Joe Biden has an interest in spying on whom it considers at the time its primary political opponents. Oh, wait. Okay, so is that what you were talking about? A little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, what can you say about that other than it's Marxist, it's totalitarian? On brand. Uh, it, well, th- you could say that. I, I, I've got to believe there are execs at, over there at News Corp crapping themselves that he does stuff like this. And you know why I know? Because I used to, on a small local scale, do this kind of stuff. When I found out that they would try to come after me for coming after them, man, my management would be like, you know, no, no, I'm like, dude, hell no. I'm going on the air. Cockroaches don't like sunlight. Jesus gets arrested in the, in the darkness of the Garden of Gethsemane. Meanwhile, the broad daylight, he stands there pointing his finger at him and calling him sellouts and frauds and whitewashed tombs. They don't do a thing because the mob is cheering him while he does it, right? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not getting picked off in the dead of night. I'm going I'm going out in the sunlight and blowing the whistle on this stuff myself. All right, because my audience is bigger than theirs. Okay. <laughs> so, I know that they'll protect me from them. All right, because I'm what I'm doing is to protect them from them, okay? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I saw Tucker Carlson do with that clip last night. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I can't stress enough and this speaks to the energy of the people that came to saw you speak and why that energy needs to persist. 
into the fall uh, school board elections. Again, I always, I am tired of footnoting this because you know it from all of us by now, but you know, I'm not saying this to be remotely hyperbolic. We are under a perpetual coup in this country from our intelligence services. What we, when Steve puts the punchline, and it is a punchline about all the things the FBI uh, hasn't bothered to do while it's finding fake nooses at NASCAR events, again, it, it, the dark gallows humor, uh, the, the, the operative phrase there is gallows, though. A, a perpetual coup is As going on. As in what on. they're preparing for you. Yes, yes. <laughs> you must fight. You can't be passive. Warm night, cold night, whatever night, whatever level of government, you must fight now because there are enemies of the state at every level of power in this country. Yeah, and and here's the thing. You, you might find things like what Tucker Carlson said last night outlandish or... Um, or, or some degree of, mm, there's a little bit of, of dubious. Um, these are the same people, though. Um, do we still, have we still gotten the unclassified FISA warrants yet? Mm. Um, didn't Obama's uh, administration spy on, like, AP journalists yes. or something like that? Yes, they did. Um, there it, was a Fox News journalist, too, if I recall. Uh, don't masks work? Um don't lockdowns work? Stop do it I, with your slippery slope I, nonsense, do Aaron. I need to, do I need to continue on with, with any of this? So you might find it dubious, but excuse us <laughs> for finding, I don't know, no benefit of, 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 the, of the doubt whatsoever. None whatsoever. They're not even entitled to the worst benefit of the doubt in my mind. So you'll excuse us if we're just a little bit mm, cautious to uh, believe any form of uh, clean hands from any of our nation's institutions. What did we say the other day? None of these institutions are worthy of any level of benefit of the doubt, trust. None of them are. And, and I think that those of you who are new to this show, those of you that joined us last year when our show grew by some measures on some platforms, 200, 300%. You saw a level of radicalism from an information standpoint from me last year that is, that is frankly not indicative of how I've conducted my career in its entirety. Because I, have, I put a very high premium on the truth. And for the most part, in limited cases... I'm, I'm not capable of gathering enough independent facts or what we used to call news in order to, on a first-person level, certify that what I'm commenting on is even true. What, what Russian collusion, what fake rape hoaxes, fake, fake Ukrainian collusion, Hunter Biden's laptop, fake polls, a fake election, and... With those things, there's, there is frankly no way I would have done with COVID last year. I would have still asked a lot of the same questions probably. But the idea that I would, I would create for thousands of Americans via this platform an alternative stream of information, that's just not what I did here. And I would not have done it if it were not for the experiences of 2017 and 2018 and 2019, they finally broke me. I finally had to 
you know, I, I know I can be very confrontational, but I, I do. Here's how I operate. I try to give people a lot of benefit of the doubt because ultimately mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen. Yeah. So I, I try to do give people a lot of benefit of the doubt. When I get confrontational is when I come to the conclusion that you are abusing my attempts to do so. So I, I don't shut the door very quickly, but then when I shut the door, it is slammed shut. I don't ever open it again. You have to. And for a long time, many years, pre-Trump, I dealt with and knew a lot of media people on the other side. And for the most part, even if they thought I was a kook or they disagreed with me, they dealt with me honestly. You know, in the 2016 cycle, a New York Times features reporter spent nearly a week with me. Multiple nights in my home. Interviewed my mom to do a feature on me. And they did a pretty fine job overall. I mean, it's from their slant, but there's nothing objectively I disagree with, right? Right. Would they do that now? No. no. I don't think so. I know so. uh, I, I, I think I know so too. And so I tried, I tried to see, is there at least, because I also, I'm just not comfortable in a tribe, just on a human level. Part of it is the way I was raised. You know, if you grow up in a home on a daily basis and you don't know if your dad's going to defend you, if you have to be defended from your dad, if your dad's going to take you to Cedar Point Disney Mm -hmm. World or, uh, or take you beyond the woodshed, you, you struggle and you, and we moved a ton. I went to 11 different schools, K through 12. And so I'm just not a joiner by nature. I, I wasn't often allowed to live in a place long enough to kind of settle in. And on a daily basis, I kind of didn't know what I'd have to, you know, come home from school or practice and kind of gauge what the mood was and whether I was going to Troy Van Tynan's house to play basketball longer because nobody wants to be here. You know what I'm saying? And so just that, that childhood taught me just I'm not a, just not to conform. Not to, to, you're just going to have to live kind of independently and contrarian. So I'm not comfortable when we break down into tribes, even if it's a righteous breakdown. Just me talking now, Steve. Steve is a man. I'm not just comfortable in that kind of environment. And so I, I held off for as long as I possibly could between my own uncomfortableness with it. And, and still, if I'm in your tribe, I'm the most annoying tribe member because I hate like whataboutism and everything else, okay? But then the other part about, about it too is a lot of the people that I see now lie daily. Like a certain Washington Post reporter, he's also been a guest in my home, met my kids. I, I just wanted to make sure I gave everybody ample benefit of the doubt because I knew what it would mean if I came to this conclusion... I knew what it would mean on a personal level for me and on a professional level for our show. We would cross a Rubicon. We'd never come back from again, okay? Yeah. And I'm willing to do it, but I just needed to know for sure that the cost was worth it. Same conversation we had about a third Trump run yesterday. We're willing to do it if, 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 the, if, if he's willing to pay off the cost. If he's, if he's running to avenge his presidency, like we decided yesterday, we're like totally in on that, right? Yeah. If he's running to avenge the election, eh. You know, that's your score, not mine. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it feels too much like the deer hunter's yeah, yeah. roulette table. Yeah. So I finally was left with no choice after these last few years. I just finally had to come to the conclusion. It's a zero-sum game now. 
I just had to come to that conclusion. It was un, it's uncomfortable for me. I can't imagine what it is for some of you. And I, I, I signed up for this. I'm a big boy. I can take it. And even I'm like, this is a level of conflict that even I didn't necessarily contemplate we'd have to go to, or at least not this soon, but we are now here. It is all out now civil war. That's really what it is. And that means you really can't trust anything. And for me as a conservative to say, don't, don't give any of these institutions that I'm, I spent my career trying to conserve, don't give any of them any kind of benefit of the doubt. Folks, I, I didn't come at this willy-nilly. I, there's, I didn't get into this. I got into this trying to conserve those institutions. Now I'm, now I'm trying to defeat them. Mm-hmm. You know, that, this is all a massive paradigm shift for me. Oh, well, you said the greatest gift you've ever seen is that Star Wars one. It's you know, a couple of days ago. It speaks to what you're saying about who the government is, mm-hmm. who the voters are, who the Oh, the Star are. Wars yes. meme. Yeah. Yeah. That we had on my Facebook wall. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that speaks to exactly what you're saying. And it, we can't be Jar Jar Binks voters anymore. You, that You need a different reality if that's your reality. And this was the message that I, part of the message I gave to this crowd last night. You know, one of the questions I got was, what do we do with big tech then? I said, first of all, we have to end, we have to reassess the paradigm that we have we have dealt with traditionally as conservatives with private industries. And as much as we love capitalism and free markets, those those things are the result of a beautiful society. They don't make for one. And if people are going to use those things in order to impose rot gut on us and our children and take our way of life from us, then no, we don't serve mammon then. And, and we take away theirs. We have to punish them. That is something yes. I would have never said 10 Hang months on. ago, probably let alone 10 years ago, okay? This is why Drag Queen Story Hour is not the price of That's freedom. right. And ultimately, you, you, you can only ignore for so long that your enemy is, is lobbing mustard gas at you. Before sooner or later, when you watch the melting skin on the, on the, on the soldiers and the neighbors on each side of you, you have to realize, oh crap, that's mustard gas. Better do something about that. And that's where we are. So I just tried the specialty Father's Day caramel brownie flavor that Bill Barr just put out uh, about a week ago. It finally came to the house. And then after I it was after I took off to speak last night, so I didn't get a chance to try it till just now during the break. And it is, it is fantastic, man! An absolute another winner. This is why this is the cool thing when you get the your first box at Built Bar, is they put out these specialty flavors. Last week it was, or the week before it was banana nut bread, right? Uh, they'll bring back every now and then their two best flavors, in my opinion, chocolate chip cookie dough and a coconut brownie chunk. And that way, you know when they have a limited supply of these specialty flavors. Uh, you get uh, you kind of get the, the down low on this, the tip on the dope rhyme, if you will, so that you don't miss out on what is absolutely the best protein bar you have ever tried. And it's the most nutritious candy bar you've ever had. Now, they won't call it a candy bar because it's like nutritious and it's a protein bar, but it tastes as good, if not better, than a lot of the candy bars on the market. And And when I look at this caramel brownie, 160 calories, 18 grams of protein, uh, six net grams of carbs, 
sugar. You cannot beat this. Uh, it is one. It's, it's one of the few good things that came out of 2020. Is I discovered Built Bar, and they came on board as one of our partners here on the show. If you want to give it a shot right now. Use my last name, Dace, D-E-A-C-E. Get 15% off your order when you go to built.com. Again, that's B-U-I-L-T, built.com. I'm glad they changed it from builtbar.com to built.com because it kept getting confused with billbar.com, and I don't want to send you to a website that doesn't do anything for you. I see what you did there. See what I did there? All right, and so let's go to built.com where they just don't play bagpipes, but they actually do stuff, all right? And it's good for you at built.com, B-U-I-L-T, drop dace, get 15% off. All right, the name of the book, which, of course, is seasonal, given the time that we are coming up on here uh, with the 4th of July just around the corner, it's called The Adversaries, a story of Boston and Bunker Hill. And it is about principled defiance in the face of overpowering and arbitrary authoritarianism. This this is a story that frankly seems unattainable to me, like something we couldn't relate to in a modern time. Um, I just I, I I'm not really sure what the connective tissue would be or how to link up to what is going on in this contemporary age. So let's ask the author himself, Ned Ryan from American Greatness. How are you, Ned? Hey, good to be with you, Steve. Yeah, it's pretty staggering how. Uh history repeats itself. And you know why? It's because human nature, the more times change, the more things stay the same with human nature. We're still struggle with all of these issues in regards to power, who governs, who makes the laws, how are the laws made? And what do you do in the face of authoritarianism when suddenly those who are in power decide that those things which are written down in black and white are more mm-hmm. series of suggestions that can be ignored uh, for their immediate political power or monetary gain? Indeed. Of course, I was I was being tongue in cheek when I said this, because as you're right, what you just said, history not only repeats, it often rhymes. And when you look at the same debates that we are having today and, and draw some parallels with us uh, to to that colonial era, because one of the one of the absolute truths that we assert on our show on a regular basis, Ned, is that we are not a nation of laws and we never have been. We are a nation of political will. And we always will be. Okay, so we on the right are always talking about rule of law, rule of law, rule of law. The other side understands it's rule of mob. All right. That that, that if we exert enough will, we can have three percent of the population that identifies as LGBTQ. We're now the NFL. All right, the most masculine right. pursuit in America will now pander to them because the perception is that they're in charge. They're the gatekeeper. They have exercised their political will. Well, and you're going back to, and there's a word there that uh, the left has really bought into that we should buy into. It's called action, meaningful, purposeful action. Of course, I loved your last op-ed in which you basically called people out and said, you've got to actually go do something if you want change to happen. It includes running for office, something I've been saying for years. But I I, I think the thing that was so intriguing to me and the reason I wrote this book, first of all, I'm, I'm fascinated by the life of Dr. Joseph Warren, who plays a central role in this book. But the men in Boston, Sam Adams, John Hancock, Paul Revere, Joseph Warren, it was because they believed something, but they authenticated that belief system by going into action and saying, well, we believe this, but at the same time, uh, we actually have to do something. And it was this principle of defiance in the face of the, the parliament and king's ministers, authoritarianism and arbitrary. I mean, all authoritarianism is arbitrary. It's not based on any absolutes. It's based on the immediate you know, power or money, whatever the, the impulse is. But it, it, it's a fascinating story, Steve, because I do think it informs us. What are you do, to do today 
when you are faced with this in which people just decide on a whim, well, we're just going to decide that this is now the law of the land when, in fact, it has nothing to do with inherent human dignity, transcendent laws. And the thing that's been interesting to me, Steve, and I tried to hit this theme a little bit in the book, but it's something I'm starting to hit more and more. The founders truly believed that if you had transcendent rights given to you by a transcendent creator, no earthly power had given them to you, no earthly power could revoke them. And if we truly believe that in the here and now, we have to start having a conversation. Where do our rights come from? They don't come from government. In fact, government's supposed to be obviously limited in size and scope. We have to confront and say to the American people, first of all, common sense, the death of common sense is taking place today. But we start, need to start having a conversation about what is the role of government in our lives because it's gone way past where it should be. But again, mm -hmm. you're right. Political will on the left has gotten to this, to this place with the administrative state uh, impacting almost every aspect of our lives. I want you to take us back to who these people were in this time because, because of their historical achievements and nostalgia. Right. There's this romanticization that there was a different layer of masculine courage or discernment or wisdom that that eludes us, that is beyond us. And 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 that, you know, the first time that the crown stepped on their necks, they just instantly started dumping tea in the harbor and declared their independence when in reality, this back and forth went on for years. They sent years of delegations across the pond. The, these were the, this was this was hard for them because they're going against their Englishmen. They're going against their own country, their own traditions. This isn't the Moors making incursions into Europe, right? This isn't even Native American or Indian tribes they're at war with. These were their own kin, their own people, their own traditions that they have. It took them a long time also to realize this was a zero sum game. And I and I talked before you came on last segment. This is a major transition I've had to make in the last couple of years to accept the premise that the very institutions I got into this business to conserve, I'm now going to have to go to war with. That's what they had yes. to learn. Yeah, no, exactly. And I, you make a great point. It's one of the points I'm making the authors note that 85 percent of Massachusetts at the time is English. They're not Scottish. They're not Irish. They're direct English lineage. And all of a sudden you have Englishmen staring at each other in which Eng certain Englishmen came over and colonized the American shores. And they actually believed the ideas encapsulated in the Magna Carta and the 1628 Petition of Right, 1689 Bill of Rights that clearly stated these rights. And they believed they were sacrosanct. They're in black and white. Parliaments agreed to them. The kings have assented to them. And the English on the other side of the Atlantic again said, well, this is more a series of suggestions. And if you don't like the new laws, these intolerable acts really are what broke the, the camel's back, Steve. Obviously, you've been building through the 1760s. We have the Boston Tea Party in December of 1773. And in response to that, the British government passes the intolerable acts, which basically suspended self-government, closed down the Boston port, really draconian measures. That was the breaking point in which they said, OK, we realize now there really is no compromise because what you are telling us is that we will have to submit to your arbitrary laws. And if we don't, you'll force us to with more regiments, more warships. And Sam Adams and Joseph Warren and Hancock and Revere said, well, we better start preparing to fight. And that was the interesting thing to me is the British government in America started to collapse in that fall of 1774. Joseph Warren and others said, well, we've now come to this conclusion. They're not going to let us go freely. We're going to have to fight for it. And I think one of the biggest surprises to me, Steve, in, in some of this research, they didn't start shooting each other earlier. And I think it was because of that common English blood. And there's like, there's no way we're headed towards civil war. Surely we're not going to have civil war with our own people. And then all of a sudden they realize there's no compromise. We have to decide what we believe. And if they're not going to let us, you know, govern ourselves and believe in these principles, well, we're going to have to fight for them. Ned, what do you think of the observation that the times in which we live, 
call back to us seeing ourselves more as sons of liberty yes. uh, than founding fathers, meaning that the proto or 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 the 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 genesis of what gave birth to a country that we're for those of us with those kinds of values, we're more in line with that. That it, much of the republic that we have been trying to conserve is gone. We're trying to restore or rebuild something new. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, they. I would argue that if it's not really the American Revolution, it was a restoration of our basic rights. But, but Steve, you hit a really interesting point. We haven't really truly lived the founders' vision for the republic for at least a century or more because of the progressives. And it really does go back to, let's go back to first principles. What do we truly believe? And then how are we going to actually apply them in the world around us? And I have to tell you, I, I, I do have some hope. I mean, just I'm here, I'm in here in Loudoun County, Virginia. The parents are Oh, yeah. You all have been making all kinds of news recently. Yeah. 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 Oh, guess what? This is the best part, though. We're going to be involved. Ian Pryor has started some great work. We're doing a recall for six of the school board members. We think we can be successful. We think they'll be recalled. They'll get short-term appointments. And then we're going to probably force a January 2022 special election because people are saying enough's enough. You're not going to use our schools to indoctrinate our kids. But this goes back to the American people need to rise up. First of all, they have to understand what they believe, and then they have to go into action. I, I make this point, Steve. We're at a we're, we're now in an era where it's the battle of the of the ballot boxes. It's not hopefully a battle of bullets, but it does require action, and it's meaningful, purposeful action to create change in your local community. But if we continue to sit back, the left never sleeps. And I'll, I'll share this one story with you. I was walking down the streets with my dad when he was in the U.S. House, and he was a little discouraged. Because he said, you know, our people come and go and evil never sleeps. Mm -hmm. And he was just making the point that the left lives, eats and breathes this. And we have to meet their passion with our own passion. Hmm. You know, they had they had to resort to bullets because they had no taxation without representation. I mean, they, they, right. they didn't have agency. They established a political system right. in the hopes that this is how we would fight our civil wars for the time forward, that the casualties right. would be politicians, parties, ideas, principles, but they wouldn't actually end up with tanks or cannons in their parlance going, you know, rolling down the streets with, hey, someone new's in charge this week. And I think that right. we, we on the right need to understand that really what politics is, that, that, that its purpose is faith and ethics and action. It's just a matter of whose faith and ethics we're going to act upon. But it's Absolutely. essence. It's essence. If we, were, if we were to put politics under a microscope and like examine on a granular cellular, cellular level what it is, it's the peaceable way to fight civil war in a free country. That's what it is. It it's absolutely the battleground of ideas, and the left has been better organized. I mean, and you know, bad people that are better organized always beat the good people that are poorly organized, and the left's been much better organized. But I have to say this too: the other thing, Steve, that I thought you just made was an interesting point. Somebody's belief system is going to work uh, to, to win out. We are all people of faith. We all have presuppositions and biases. Ours are based on eternal values and principles, and the idea of an immortal soul and eternal rewards and punishment. But the left also has their own set of presuppositions and bias, their own faith system. Uh, and somebody's faith system is going to win out. And I would prefer ours win out because obviously because of our belief in human dignity and freedom and liberty and all of these great ideals that we were actually founded upon. So, yeah, the, 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 the American people, especially in the on the right, need to understand, as I made this point, and obviously, as you quoted in the op-ed, you either do politics or politics will do you. Mm -hmm. There's no escaping it. And we better figure that out sooner rather than later, or we're going to wake up just a few years from now. I mean, we're already in a terrible, we're in a kind of a, a interesting period in history of which way are we going to go. 
but we better figure this out pretty darn quick or we're going to find ourselves in a really terrible situation because we didn't do what we were supposed to do. Then Ryan from American Greatness, author of uh, The Adversaries, a story of Boston and Bunker Hill, a lot of lessons and parallels to yep. the times in which we live and hopefully some encouragement. These people, maybe right. on a societal level, it had not broken down uh, to the level that we have and it had not. But on a human level, they had their own frailties, their own blind spots, right. their own sins, and yet they changed the course of history. Maybe we can learn from that, Ned. That's absolutely right. No, I think people will be inspired. I, I mean, I, I put this in the author's note that history done well is like the wind at our backs. We should not only read it, but we should be inspired into action and go, how am I supposed to go into action? What can I actually do to cause change based off my beliefs? And so I hope that people read this and realize Dr. Joseph Warren was a singular man, that they had to make choices. Danger was not far away. It wasn't 3,000 miles away. They were truly confronting in their faces this oppressive authoritarianism when it's literally feet away. With, with British soldiers and warships and basically knowing, you know, at any point I could either be arrested or have physical harm done to me. And yet they still uh, showed the bravery and courage necessary to say, we're going to found a free American Republic and we're willing to fight for it. Uh, and, and Joseph Warren goes to Bunker Hill, has to borrow a horse, has to borrow a musket to go fight in the redoubt on Breed's Hill. It's, it's just an incredible story, Steve. Mm. Great stuff, Ned. Pleasure to have you with us finally. And let's do it again. All right. Take care. Thanks, Steve. You got it. God bless. Thought of that conversation, gentlemen. The the Thanos snap of our founding, and here we come on July fourth. We don't know who we are because we don't know who they are. It it's really that simple. It's a one plus one equals two. If we really knew our history, we couldn't help but respect it. A or B, flat out understand that we are now enemies of the state. In that. The thing called America is something we don't want to be a part of other than happen to live on a landmass. This has always been that country that Steve has talked about, founded on ideals. It was just not some strong-arm takeover. It is utterly unique. And we walk around in this stupid haze of comfort, not understanding that these blessings of liberty are truly a miracle of human existence. So what are you prepared to do? And just talking, you know, to Ned there, it's it's easy to forget. Uh, and and the question that you asked Steve about the founding fathers, how they were they were human beings just like us, with the frailties just like we face today. Um, that's something that's lost so easily. That should be an encouragement, though. They did it once, hundreds of years ago. We can do it again. There's fundamentally on a human level, just as as Ned began the conversation with, because of human nature, there is nothing fundamentally at a human level different between the people of then and now. And you might argue that, yes, that the frosting may be different uh, in terms of who the enemy is or who our opponents are. But fundamentally, those of us who consider ourselves truly on the right side of history, truly on the there's nothing fundamentally different about us unless we let it be so. Don't let it be so. That's the message of, of studying our history, of studying the birth of this country and what led up to the revolution, and as Ned put it, uh, the restoration of America, because the values they fought for supersede, transcend, and existed long before they fought the battles. That should be an encouragement. We need to remember that as well. You, When, when you have history and weaponry on your side 
your opponents cannot win. You can only lose. See, they're not they're not overtaking this country. We're losing it. Mm-hmm. And those are two totally different yes, things. It is. I want to thank Ned Ryan from American Greatness for joining us last hour. Greetings. Welcome to Hour 2 here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. I'm Steve Dace, Aaron McIntyre, and Totters, and they're here too, as are you. Let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Email the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, and Gab. Follow us on Twitter at Steve. Dace show. And if you're looking for clips of the show, again, go to rumble.com slash Steve Dace show. You'll get clips there and they're not just free. They're also free. If you know what I'm saying of censorship, big tech, uh, you know, uh, hot trash, garbage and everything else that they're doing over there in Silicon Valley as we speak. If you are a podcast listener, we're looking for you to please hit the subscribe button and then leave us a five star review. If you've yet to do those things, they help the show. Thousands of you have done those things for us already. We want to thank each and every one of you. And we want to ask those of you that have yet to do them. If you would please consider making today, today, the day. Thank you. Fake news or not brought to you by Home Title Lock. We've been warning you about home title theft for a while on the show now. This is where cyber thieves uh, use personal information on you in order to log in online where your home's title is kept and identify as you so that they can then sign your home over to them via a quick claim deed and they liquidate all of that equity and you often don't find out until it is too late. Now, how would they do that? Where would they get this kind of personal information? Um, well, you've, you may have identity theft protection, and that's good. Everybody ought to have that in this day and age. But even if they can't steal your identity when something like Facebook has a data breach, 500 million accounts, maybe a hometown, a name, a middle name, a middle initial, maiden name, right? For a lot of us, particularly the ladies that want to get hooked up with their high school friends. And so they've married, you know, they live across country and they have a different last name. So they put the maiden name in there in the parentheses and you forgot that that's how you're, you know, that's like your keyword to log in for your password reset, right? This is what happens. They then use that information to take you out with home title fraud. Don't let it happen to you. Go to our friends at Home Title Lock right now. Get 30 free days of protection for your most important investment, your home, with HomeTitleLock.com and the code radio. That's the code radio at HomeTitleLock.com. We continue on Fake News or Not. Three weeks left to go delving into our number one best-selling book, whether the legal department at Fox News believes it or not. Fauci and Bargain, the most powerful and dangerous bureaucrat in American history. And today, we take on one of the most fun chapters to write, The Masquerade. Got seven for you today. Could have had... Who could have done 57. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. So here we go. Buckle up. Fake news or not, Steve Dace, we still don't know whether Fauci lied about the need to wear masks back in March of 2020 because he was actually concerned about shortages for healthcare workers or because he totally lost his mind in a mad grab for power. Yeah, we don't know which one of those motivations it is. 
Um, we just know he lied, but we you're, just, you just, haven't. You're not certain yourself. I really wanted to get a no, I, today well, version of what you think this is. Here's what I here's what I think happened with masks and everything else. Is an event occurred, or an acquisition of knowledge, or the fear of a disclosure of knowledge occurred sometime in early March. That completely changed Anthony Fauci's tune. And that I think you were getting largely unfettered scientific analysis in all the clips we played from and the highlights from the New England Journal of Medicine that we've talked about a million times in January, February, even the very beginning of March. And and we don't know what that event is or that information was. I think you know, our book came out, what was it, March 26th? So, and we, we finished this manuscript right around the 1st of March this year. I think it's we're getting a clearer picture of what that event or that information that yes, he either acquired or didn't want disclosed happened to be. And Does it have to do with Wuhan luck? I, I think it might have to do. He's got Wuhan for luck, brother. Yeah, I do. I, just Let me just postulate a scenario. See if you think this has Spitballing? merit. Just throwing it out there, okay? Let's give it a shot, right? Throw caution to the wind here, okay? Say that you were intimately involved with China and had been conducting this research for a long, long time, years, in fact, when, when, vaccine, when, when real vaccine efforts for the first SARS never panned out after more than a decade. And... Some of your big pharma buddies and some of and, and China comes to you and says, um, we China says we've got a method of research that we're willing to do in our country because we don't really care about our citizens and you don't either. Um, but you know we're the number one or one A or number two superpower in the world. We can keep this on lockdown. So you've got big pharma folks that want to that that have this new form of genetic um, vaccination or injection mRNA, uh, and, and they've not been able, they, they have the process down, but they can't find any real efficacy yet. And, and we're trying to get ahead of what the next SARS might be. And to do that, we need to engage in a certain form of research in order to gauge what would cause one of these coronaviruses to mutate from an animal to a human, okay? Let's put these, all these people together out here in China, in one of our labs, and it's got the best people overseeing it, the former head of our bioweapons program. Uh, and, uh, you know, when the next outbreak comes, we'll already have this thing mapped. We're already, we're, we'll be ready to go to market fast in order to combat it. And you think you're doing the Lord's work, right? And then there is um, an accident. Or a purposeful way. I'm sorry. Is this on? Okay. Um, uh, accident. You know, let me let me quote our president. There was an accident. All right, and the virus gets out of the lab. And you know you know this, but you also know that you guys are ready for this, right? You're prepared. Okay, and and so you're still doing real science because this kind of you think you've got the train, the, the trail of evidence, the chain of evidence all on lockdown. You guys are all on the same side, all on the same team. Uh, esprit de corps, we've got our narrative ready to go. In some respects, this 
accident is a blessing in disguise because you you've you, it, it'll create the market to really rocket fuel or shall i say um warp speed your the efforts that you are already prima facie engaged in anyway right okay and therefore you are free to say real science Respiratory viruses aren't spread by asymptomatic carriers. Uh, masks don't work against airborne contagions. You know, all the stuff that he said in the winter of 2020, mm -hmm. right? And then somewhere along the line, you learn what a study in Australia just said over the weekend. Did you guys see this study? Yes. That there is something innate about COVID-19 that it uniquely attaches to and attacks human receptors like in an abnormal rate beyond typical viro virological behavior almost as if for example it was designed that way right yes for what purpose there would be two purposes and both of them are bad if your name is anthony fauci one purpose would be that it was that was what gain of the gain of function research. Remember, we're all focused on the process of gain of function research, and we should be. It's innately dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. But you have to understand, though, what's even more dangerous is the motivation behind it. In the case of coronavirus, the motivation behind the method of gain of function was specifically to gauge what they call spillover potential, meaning it wasn't just that they were doing gain of function research. They were doing it in a way to specifically cause a virus to mutate from an animal to a human to simulate it. They were specifically doing it. Specifically. It's not just, hey, let's just drop an atom bomb on Bikini Island and, and, and we'll just see what kind of radiation levels we get. No, we specifically want to see what happens to the native population on this island when we do it to them, right? Yes. Isn't that a totally different level of recklessness now, right? Yes. This is like human experimentation, right? Yes. Yeah. See my point here? That's what they were doing with this. It wasn't just the method was reckless. The motivation attached to the method in and of itself was beyond reckless. And so if you're Anthony Fauci, either your name is attached to the basically the creation of this pandemic, or you got played. And your buddies over in China with their head of their bioweapons program in charge of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, you, you know, you walk into a room and you ever get the old saying, you're wondering who's the mark? The mark is you. You got played, bro. You got played by the Shycoms. I mean, you, you are, I mean, you're, you're the... Um, you're the dolt here. You're the useful idiot that communists love to raise up. And you help them essentially shut the world down. Either one of those narratives is bad, right? None of them are good. None of them are recoverable. And, and, and that could potentially, again, just spitballing here, potentially be why sometime around March 9th or 10th, because March 11th was the day that he went to Congress and went Denethor, Somewhere in there, between the time he did the interview on 60 Minutes in early March, and, the, and then when he went to Congress and, and said, light yourselves on fire, it's the end of the world, somewhere along the line, he got wind that one of those two scenarios is what the real situation is here. And that explains the pivot, that explains all of the junk science, flat earth voodoo, that explains all of the demonic dissembling and everything else. Again, though, I'm just spitballing here. I'll just say that if Occam's razor is your friend and you heard what Steve just said uh, and you are running in the opposite direction to any other possible option, uh, it's a you problem.
Steve, fake news or not, after the latest VAERS reporting numbers that you mentioned on the show yesterday, you and I'll allow you to add extra context to that, maybe the mask did protect some people better than the vaccine. <laughs> Ouch. Oh, that's a rim shot, brother. That's... It's only 12-12, man. We got to do 45 more minutes after this, Aaron. Ouch. Gonna be, you should have saved that one for the end, Todd. We got we to gotta show Every you how to do that. Every one of these I should have saved oh, for okay. the end. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, he's calling right. shot. That's where we just, we're pushing it in now. We're just all in. I like it. We, I mean, we pre-flop all in. I like that. All right. So, wow. That is powerful and true. And for those of you that don't know, VAERS is the Vaccine Adverse Effects uh, database uh, that CDC keeps going back to 1992 or 1990 for every vaccine. Here's a stat, Peter McCullough uh, from Baylor, Texas A&M, Michigan, one of the leading cardiologists in the world. A bumpkin. Yeah, a hick, obviously, uh, soon to be banned off YouTube. Uh, I heard him on Daniel Horowitz's podcast say the other day that there are more deaths for 20 to 30-year-olds associated with COVID, the mRNA injections already as an adverse effect than there have been for all other vaccines combined going back to the history of the database over 30 years. That seems bad. That does seem bad. And yeah, my, uh, the football coach of my favorite team was, on, was doing a video yesterday telling 12 to 15-year-olds to get vaccinated. All right. Uh, the ages of the ages of 12 to 15 year olds uh, reporting myocarditis. And by the way, according to McCullough, 90 percent of youth myocarditis diagnoses are ending up hospitalized. Ninety percent. The in, the the incidence of myocarditis in the in, in children with mRNA vaccinations compared to those 800 times higher, 800 times higher. And Harbaugh's out there saying kids 12 to 15 should go out there and get vaccinated. 800 times higher. Harbaugh's out there saying go out there and get vaccinated after the USDA put a warning label on the vaccines on Friday for, for, for minors. The USDA doing the work that CDC promised you they would do and won't. So your point, which is a nod, uh, a gallows humor nod to Robert Redfield, Correct. the previous CDC director's ridiculous claim that a cloth mask, he said this under oath to Congress. There's video of this. Uh, the, the cloth mask, he said that he was wearing at the time, would protect him more than the vaccines would. Are you trying to say, in the end, for all the wrong reasons, yes. we may owe Mr. Redfield an apology? Yes. Yeah. That's after he apologizes to us 50 times for what he did last year. Then I'll, I'll, be, I'll happily return the favor. Steve, fake news or not? Not wearing masks during flu season is a clear death wish based on the COVID science. Yes. Also, yes. there are ancient cave paintings where we defeated the Black Death using masks. <laughs> uh, yes, he came loaded today, folks. Yes. Um, I had to combine some of these to get it all in. Uh, that's true. Yes. I mean, from a, if, if, if you take what they're saying at face value to its most logical conclusion, then every doctor or nurse ever demanding that you wear a mask now is themselves a mass murderer, or at least an accomplice to mass murder by not demanding that you wear masks and, uh, for every airborne contagion during cold and flu season, your entire lives. This is why we haven't done this before. We tried this. 
there's there's fascinating journalism when they still did it during the Spanish flu epidemic with columnists like in the New York Times writing pieces in 1918 like all right we tried your silly masks they don't work all right so you know public health departments writing pieces in the Chicago Tribune stop wearing masks they don't work okay um this is why you've not been wearing these masks every cold and flu season your entire life they don't work they didn't work against this airborne contagion they didn't work against any previous other airborne contagions and they're not going to work against the next ones either they don't work yeah the flu is more dangerous for kids yes we know, this is in contact the is flu a- the flu flu's death data is yes. is very stratified stratified obviously not nearly though as starkly stratis- stratified as what we see with covid yes I think knowing that also in conjunction with what you just said about Harbaugh, the level of you can't say it's anything other short of insanity relative to what we really know and what we're asking of people. The contradictions at every turn are just there would be better there. We could argue morally whether there's two arguments here. There's moral and scientific. Okay, we did forcibly vaccinate people for smallpox, for example. But again, even well into the 20th century, when we had vaccines for smallpox, smallpox still had an infection fatality rate about 3,000% higher than what we've seen of COVID. So, but they were, that was morally argued at the time, all right? Those cases went to the U.S. Supreme Court and everything else because of the centuries of lethality. Smallpox is one of the worst killers in human history. There may come a time that the moral argument and the scientific argument here with a contagion are in conflict. Fair? Yeah. It could happen. Smallpox was one of those times. That's why those cases about forcibly inject vaccinating people with smallpox vaccines went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. In an imperfect world, in a fallen creation, are we promised that there won't be conflicts between progress healing and ethics and morality that there won't be no. quandaries between no, those things no there's they're going to exist right and then we're going to have to hash those things out yes. right this would not be I one know. of those times that is my point that is exactly my point the children are neither vectors nor for meaning they're not transmitting it to people nor victims of that's such a blessing and so there's no point in experimenting right. on them there's no point in it there's no point. It's only a loss leader. It doesn't accomplish anything. We don't know what we're doing to their fertility. We don't know what we don't know what what a thousand cases of myocarditis that weren't that wouldn't have otherwise existed but do now. When those kids get older and they're not as active and they're not as healthy. Heart disease is already the number one killer in America. You see where I'm going yes. with this? Who knows? 700,000 people a year die of it. Who knows what, what the heart disease metrics will look like in 20 or 30 years, where it used to be, hey, man, get a heart screening at 45. Now, with these kids, you got to get one at 28, 38. Who knows? You think you're in the prime condition of your life, man. You're doing a, a, you know, a bike ride across your state. Done. Who knows? We don't know. Do we know these things? No. Why can't I get pregnant? I don't understand. We don't know. There, there, there is no benefit to this. There may come a time, and I pray we don't see it, 
but we have seen it at other points in human history where ethics and morality and autonomy and agency and progress and healing and public health don't always line up and there's going to be a conflict that's going to happen this should not be one of those times there is no benefit to justify the risk ratio of injecting these children none doesn't exist they're neither victims of nor vectors for. There is no benefit to it. No benefit to making them the lab rats here. So we, shouldn't, we should not be surprised that a bunch of entities and bureaucracies that are totally fine with killing these kids before they're even born and then using their tissue samples and other fetal, fetal matter for quote-unquote scientific advancement Think at 12, 13, 14, there's still lab rats too. There is none. Zip, zilch, nada. At this point, do exactly the opposite. Until further notice, do exactly the opposite of everything Anthony Fauci says, as you would any other lying, demonic crap weasel. Did that answer your question? It did. Okay. All right, we got four more. We got to roll. All right, lightning round. Fake news or not, the most accurate thing Dr. Michael Osterholm ever said was in June 2020, just before the mass cult started uh, uh, getting uh, traction, when he surmised that, quote, if you don't wear a mask, we've come to make judgments about that on emotion. Right on. That's in that's in the same presentation he gave to the Minneapolis Chamber of Commerce last June. They were trying to figure out how to get their state reopened so they can stop from going bankrupt. They proposed to him, what if we just had people wearing masks while we opened up society? And part of that rant is when he compared wearing a mask to fight against an airborne contagion to putting a screen door on a submarine. He mocked it. And then he followed that up with the comment that you just said there. That's true news. All right, fake news or not, Steve, the fact that most people in the world don't know a Norway study determined that 200,000 people would need to wear masks and wear masks correctly to stop just one infection from COVID is a crime against humanity. Same goes for the CDC report that said 85% of those sampled with COVID were wearing a mask always or often now, both of those are true news and right on the money i mean keep in mind what that norway study showed not one percent i mean one percent of people in a country is a lot of people right yeah, sure like we, we would have a i think from a pro-life perspective we'd have some kind of debate if we could prove like you said we'll have two hundred thousand people yeah. wearing masks would save one percent of one percent of 20 million is a is what twenty thousand people mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. uh so i mean that's that's a that's a lot of people no not one percent, guys. One, one, one. That's just not an enforceable ratio, which is why Norway didn't do it. Fake news or not, Steve, the New England Journal of Medicine called masks, quote, talismans, end quote, <laughs> in May of 2020. Again, before the mask cult took over. Nonetheless, mass studies pointing out zero effectiveness before covid were ahem, updated yes after covid to account for the needs of the cult yeah this was some this is some real inquisition inquisition type poop going on right here yeah. all right and so this study that you're talking about that we had in the book from the new england journal of medicine last may i mean like harvard people 
Ivy League people wrote this, and they they said this is the masks are becoming a talisman. They don't work. And that's like a word we would use yes. on this show. Like We've that's a Steve this Jace word. Yes, yes. It's in it's in the New England Journal of Medicine. Yes, they just they, this is ridiculous. They don't work. You guys are turning these into a religious expression. That got published in the New England Journal of Medicine last spring, and and. What we found, and we've referenced this on the show before, when, you know, and, and one of them is actually Dr. Michael Osterholm's Center for Infectious Diseases at the University of Minnesota. It has one of these retcon updates on a mask study that it put out just like last April, pointing out these things are jokes. They don't work. What are you doing? They, they will now often have like updates on them that are basically, please hammer, don't hurt us. Don't, 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 don't glitter bomb us. Don't ratio us on Twitter. We're sorry we did science once. It's some real inquisition kind of stuff. Like, like jizzas and tachyas were being paid out there. If you know what I'm saying. I do. And lastly, fake news or not, Steve, masks didn't stop super spreader events. In fact, the mass cult was the super spreader event and a precursor to election fraud. Absolutely. I, I wholeheartedly. I, I think it's a precursor to something else. Okay. Two. One of the reasons, and I've and I've talked about this in the past, when we when I didn't want to get into eschatological conversations. And I always used to say, just as a layman, studying the various traditional views that Christianity has had, amillennial, postmillennial, premillennial, I think there's, that's why really smart people fall into all three of these camps. I, I could see the theological and exegetical framework for all three of these views, okay? One of the things that I struggled with, though, with the, the premillennial dispensational view that is the dominant view in American Christianity right now is that I, I thought it tended to turn people into hyper-conspiratorial. Um, I, I had a guy come up to me in the Charlotte airport once, literally with a color-coded rapture chart. I mean, I just, I kind of felt like it turned people, turned us into people that just not unreasonable for the overall cause of Christ, but a particular niche. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, the end times is one part of the faith. It makes it like it's yes. the only yes. part of the faith. Yeah. And then it also came across as this is something to be feared. And I, I always thought, yeah. I thought we want this to happen. Don't, don't we right. want Christ to return? Isn't that the culmination of history? It's why we're, we're occupying, yeah. we, we, you know, we, this world is not our home. And right? if grace triumphs over judgment, you can't constantly be obsessed right. with that. Right. This last year, now, now this doesn't mean that I think the theology this eschatology has more efficacy. That would be eisegesis. That would be determining that's, that's heterodoxical. Don't do that. That that's where we let what we think or what what's happening in our world, determine what we think the Bible says, as opposed to letting the Bible inform us on what we think of our world. Right. Okay. But this past year, the notion that an entire world could just instantaneously fall prey to, to use the phrase from Aaron's montage earlier today, a new world order, like in, 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 in an almost overnight fashion, that it would just, pardon the expression, like a thief in the night just happen. And that that world would then just instantly rally to it and succumb to it. And then would also want, it would also desire to be dismissive of attempts to confront it and say, hey, what is going on here? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and that, just the way my brain works from a critical thinking standpoint, that just seemed like unattainable to me on a certain level. 
yeah, that's not true anymore. I mean, I just, I just watched it play itself out. I was on the front lines of it myself. I, I watched it happen, man. I basically got turned into the Buck Williams character in a Left Behind book in the last year. I mean, I just watched, just changed the name Mask to Nikolai Carpathia. I just watched it happen. I just watched it happen. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that that makes that eschat- eschatology any more efficacious than it was before this event. I'm just speaking for me on a personal level. It's, it's, I, I, I'm, it's, it's more accessible to me than it used to be, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, because I lived through this. I saw it. It's, it's the blind man who once was blind and now he can see, mm-hmm. right? Hey, I heard, I heard Jesus healed other blind people. I may even believe that he healed blind people, but it's totally different when I'm the blind guy that he heals. You know, mm-hmm. That's kind of what I'm saying here. Does this make sense, Aaron? Absolutely. That I lived through a proto version, a grooming, shall we say, mm-hmm. of, of how such an event could actually take place. Yes. And, I, and so I, I don't know how I can ignore something like that now that I've seen it. I've, I've lived it. What do you think? That's where, well, what I wrestle with every day, why... I, you hear me obsess about the notion of returning to normal. It's why I can't. It's why I won't. It's why it's a suicide trip if you do because of everything Steve just said. The board is being reset as we speak. We never could have imagined COVID. We never could have imagined transgender bathrooms. They're all back in full force. We learn nothing. Something really bad is a coming unless we stand up and heed Steve's words right there. One more quick fake news or not proposition for you in in 30 seconds. Um, Back in late 2020, a disciple of Fauci came to him and said, "Uh, Doctor, how many masks must I wear? Times seven. And Fauci said unto him, nay, not seven, but 70 times seven. Fake news or not, Steve? Uh, That absolutely happened. Yes, you bet. And goggles. And, and, And bedazzle your face mask. Yes, with his acolyte and apostle Debbie Burks. Yes. Pop Culture Tuesday is next. Of course, this is the time of year we celebrate our independence and the values that made America great. And now, more than ever, it's important to support companies like Patriot Mobile who believe and share those beliefs and values. Stand behind them with action. And Patriot Mobile is the only Christian conservative wireless carrier. It donates a portion of every dollar you spend with them to organizations that fight for causes that we care about. And right now, they have two great offers that you can choose from. Either get 50% off your first two months or $100 off any new phone. That's 50% off your first two months or 100 bucks off any new phone. Both, by the way, come with free premiere activation. So just go to patriotmobile.com slash Steve if you want more details or to sign up. Patriotmobile.com slash Steve. They use the same towers as the major providers, so you're going to get the same coverage but for less money and less cultural rot gut. All right. PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. Don't forget veterans and first responders. You save even more. Or you can give them a call at 972-PATRIOT. That's 972-PATRIOT. All right, let's get to Pop Culture Tuesday. Each week at this time, we look at the intersection between pop culture and conservatism. I had intended originally to have us discuss they have finally now um released 
the full American government uh, report on UFOs. But I have not yet had the chance to read it. I apologize. It's actually on my list of things to do today. Okay. So I kind of decided, and maybe you guys, I don't think, agree. I thought maybe I should read the report before we did like a segment on it. Uh, Probably. Thoughts? That's not how we do things in media. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. Okay. But you know me, ever the contrarian. (laughs) Okay. And then, but then something else happened over the weekend that I want to discuss. And I've, I've thought about this before in other contexts. But for some reason, watching The Greatest Showman again over the weekend for Family Movie Night just really kind of crystallized this notion for me. And I thought, okay, finally, I want to throw this out there and I want us to discuss it, okay? So I'm not a big musical guy. Um, I like music. I like movies. I like music a lot. I like movies a lot. I tend not to like when they mix them together. A little bit like I like mac and cheese a lot. I like pizza a lot. Not really a fan of mac and cheese pizza, okay? They're better separate. Every now and then, you know, a footloose comes out, grease, you know, which um, introduced me to puberty years before I actually hit it. All right. Uh, the, the, when, the, the, the scene at the end when she comes out in the all black leather. Um, Wizard of Oz, uh, which is one of my 10 all time favorite films. I, I adore that movie. Uh, Meet Me in St. Louis. I, I, I kind of like Judy Garland, so that's why she gets two spots. But it's got to be like that level of film, right? All right. I'm just not like, let's go casually watch a musical guy. But Daddy Daughter Date, a few Christmases ago, took Zoe when it was in theaters to go see The Greatest Showman. And I was just blown away by how good it was. And and the the story is is powerful too. Um, uh, it's it's one that I think all men on some level can relate to, unless you were born into real privilege, not the fake kind we bitch about in our society today, but like real privilege. Okay. Um, here's a guy uh, not born on third and credited with the triple, but basically born in the dugout, not even allowed to come up to bat, and he works his way up. P.T. Barnum does up to a. a a man of of standing in society, uh, and but but he he can't accept the premise that the best revenge is living well, and so he wants vindication, and he makes reckless choices or destructive choices, seeking that vindication. All right, and the movie starts with the kind of the theme song. This is the greatest show. Um, it's right where uh, you, you, where you want to, or you, and it's all right in front of you. This is where you want to be. That's the tagline of the song, and he thinks it is the show. This being this and being the ringleader, the star of it. And at the end of the movie, when he passes the baton on to Zach Efron and he says, and Zach's like, where are you going? I'm going, I'm going home. Uh, watch my daughters grow up. I'm going to run the business, but you're the, it's time for you now to be the star of the show. You're not married enough kids. I do. It's time for me to kind of grow up and be a dad. And they sing that main song again at the end of the film when he's at his daughter's ballet recital. Okay. And now, but now he's applying it to his real purpose in life. Um, that's a really powerful story and I love the film and the music's great. But in the middle of it, I had a political epiphany and it's something, like I said, that's come up in, in the past I've thought about and I wanted to finally throw it out there. The One of the main other main subplots of the story is P.T. Barnum's taking people that society has viewed as outcasts, basically. Okay. And giving them a chance to own whatever the uh, blight, affliction that society believes they have, but own it as 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 their own, a, a brand, 
Like it, it, it's my identity. I, I, I don't have to be afraid of this. I own this and I'll capitalize on it. Like I'm not ashamed to be the bearded lady anymore. Right. I'm not ashamed to be the little general anymore. And there's a newspaper reporter or columnist in the film that is very skeptical of what Barnum's been doing the whole time. And then at the end, he says, you know, I looking at it, I look at it differently now that you all different colors, all different kinds of people that you really put out there, like a sea of like, you know, like it was basically a homage to humanity. And in our context of our culture today, this would be taken as, well, isn't that what like Pride Month is, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. But in the context of the culture that, that Barnum lived in, the mid to late 19th century, um, you know, like for example, his, his original amphitheater did burn down like it did in the film. Um, the cause was, they don't really know the cause. It was actually suspected that it's because he started to hold anti-Confederate pro-abolitionist events in the amphitheater, he started to host them in between shows and that people with Confederate sympathies were the ones that burned it down. Yeah. But that's, that's the suspicion, but we don't really know to this day what caused it. Okay. This viewpoint today has is, is sort of viewed as the left-wing viewpoint, right? You know, um, a sea of humanity, no gender, no constraints, no, no constructs whatsoever, okay? And, and we are the ones that in this time period oppose that because we view that to be... Um, a bastardization of what that really means. And that that accepting these notions doesn't advance the human condition, but it, it, it stains it, it punishes it. It leads to dysfunction, mental anguish, abuse, uh, not to mention separation from our creator, right? Okay, who created us in a certain image, right? But pre those levels of restraints being, re being challenged and removed as they are in our age, in the mid to late 19th century, would we have been the lefties? Would we have been the ones, because traditionally, Christianity has actually been on the side of the outcast of society, all right? Whether you think he's the first bishop of Rome or you think he's just arguably the greatest apostle, you cannot argue that the first integral leader of the most impactful reform movement, societal reform movement in human history was just a commoner fisherman, that was largely on the outskirts of society, right? Um, Jesus himself, born in a barn, right? Like, I wonder, how far can we apply our current left-right political paradigm, given the stakes we're playing for in our day? How, how far can that be applied retroactively? Because in a previous era, would we have been the people saying, hey, I'm, yeah, he's 21 years old and four foot nine, but he's still made in the image of God. You don't get to do that to him. You don't get to treat him like that. You don't get to treat these people like, you know, I mean, obviously it was, it was, it was Bible believing Christians that led a lot of the underground railroad, railroad and the abolitionist movement, for example. Right. Okay. So here's my question. Our values as, as believers are timeless. They, they don't change because our God doesn't change. Right. Society around us changes, though, right? Mm -hmm. If we stood for these same things that we stand for now and for the same reasons that we do now, 
in a time period, even in this country, as in, in the mid to late 19th century, would we have been the progressives? Would we have been the left-wingers? Is there any merit to that observation, do you think? Oh, there's more than merit. It's You nailed it. But How so? Because our, when we're talking about the marginalized, are you marginalized in your situation or are you marginalized in your sin? Mm-hmm. That That's the point. There are all those claiming... Or a society marginalized to marginalize you in your station. Yes. Yes. Okay. But it, it, right now, there's all kinds of people, everything, woke culture, victimization. Uh, but by and large, these people have marginalized themselves in their sin. In some cases, not completely. And there's some overlap of the diagram where it's also situational. But many, they are waving the banner of, of, of sin as a virtue and this is what you talk about, Steve, when you talk about how you, you know, versions of you will be made uh, to care. Either you slit your throat or we slit it for you. It's, but if it's in their situation, which you laid out, the, the, these, these people were born, uh, I mean, heck, but he, he is ultimately uh, P.T. Barnum. He's a hand, he's a handsome man, a man of motiva- uh, motivation. He had some tools in his, uh, but he, w- he he ultimately realized he was an outcast, just like them. And there was a part of him that always saw their inherent dignity and beauty, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he and he told them about that. But he didn't fully identify, and that's really played out well in the movie. Once the glitz and the glamour starts, and he's drawn in by that starlet, and he's 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 never, it never makes it clear that he's in any way in love with her. By the way, but in real life, there was never even anything like that between Jenny Lind and P.T. Barnum. They just put that in the film. But, she, yeah. but he was, it, I thought the point was, he was he was falling into a trap mm-hmm. uh, of his own making. Mm-hmm. But so the, the, the label marginalized it is just not a catch-all. Why are you marginalized? Who marginalized you? And yes, therefore, we as Christians are meant to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves in discerning that. Of course, as a church, we should have been with those people. It's abundantly clear they were set up to live in a modern-day leper colony, Mm -hmm. basically. Of course, we are supposed to be them. Does that mean that they, they are created in the image and likeness of God? just like us do they get any different get out of jail free car clauses than anybody else their story could have been the same story as pt bartum's instead of sliding into sin so it's you're not allowed tribalisms then and you're not allowed tribalisms now you're allowed the faith of christ you humble yourself to that and therefore you just keep going with what you're talking about you're not like sort of onto something you're onto the whole thing Aaron I want to get your take here in a second after I talk about Omega XL if you are struggling with chronic pain this is that achiness stiffness soreness that just won't go away it's not hey I'm, I'm hurting because I just got injured and I'm recovering no you need to like get medical treatment for that we're talking about the chronic variety the kind that lingers and hangs around for months or maybe years chances are that's the result of inflammation if you're looking for an all-natural inflammatory that's backed by 35 years 
of clinical research that I can personally attest to its effectiveness, then you want to check out Omega XL right now. It deals with the inflammation. It attacks the inflammation that's attacking you. And if you want to go back on the attack against that inflammation, you can buy one bottle. They'll throw in a second one for free. So buy one, get one free right now when you go to OmegaXL.com. Omega, just like it sounds. OmegaXL.com slash Steve. That's OmegaXL.com slash Steve. Or give them a call at 800-844-4888. That's 800-844-4888. Now, Aaron, how this has been distorted in our time is the group that is now has every major corporation, every major thought center, every major academic Mm -hmm. and media center in the world on its side has still been parading around for the last month. Like it's 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 an an oppressed insurgency. Yes. When it's the when it is the establishment here, they're not the marginalized. Right. Yeah. I, I think what we're really talking about, especially what Todd pointed out towards the end of his commentary there, that there is transcendently. There is no left-right paradigm. There is what is right and, and what is wrong. For instance, in Iran, by their standard, um, by their by their by, by the, what they would call uh, left-right, would we rather have a conservative Iranian by their own standard in that region of, of the world? Would we rather have a conservative leader in in Iran or a more left-wing leader? In Iran, mm-hmm. a more liberal. We would rather. Great we, point. We would rather have. We're a the liberal. lefties in Iran. <laughs> yeah, we are the yeah. lefties in Iran. Yeah. Not because we believe in uh, pride and and we're going to ch- turn the uh, streets of Tehran into rainbows. No, because we oppose tyranny. We oppose the systems in place that cause the marginalization of uh, of sin or I- encourage it. That's that's what we're really talking about here. And in the long arc of the the history of the church. The chaotic pendulums, the swinging from the left to right and up and down, all over and uh, all over. We we never get it right because we ourselves, obviously human nature is what it is. We can never get it. But in the process of of those swinging back and forth and the the darker moments in the history of church uh, of the church, sometimes we get an American revolution. Sometimes we get an abolition. Sometimes we get. I don't know, maybe the ending of abortion in America someday. And so um, the, the traditional left-right paradigm, we, we use that to label things so that we know kind of who we're talking about in, in any contemporary time. But transcendently, um, it, it, there, it really doesn't exist, or at least it, it really shouldn't exist. Because as Todd said, we're not allowed the tribalism that we pigeonhole each other in every day. Hmm. I love the Iran metaphor there. Nailed it. That ultimately, and and isn't that what, in some respects, it has Bill Maher, MSNBC going to war with Bill Maher now, the atheist liberal. Mm -hmm. Because Bill viewed himself, like a lot of liberals did in the 60s and 70s and 80s, as they were the ones extending Americana to the marginalized in society, right? Sure. And that's why they viewed their opponents as racist misogynistic xenophobic mm-hmm. homophobic bigots mm-hmm. and and now he's kind of like every major corporation in the country dude the nfl is putting out football is gay i think we won all right so uh, back to america let's have let's make our money and the folks in msnbc are like uh, this is the most racist we've ever been right isn't that kind of the, in a way isn't the argument that he's having with the msnbc yes, crowd kind of, a yes. derivative of this very conversation yes 
because he's finding out, oh, wait, we, we, this really wasn't just about expanding the margins uh, to those that uh, were marginalized, right? Yeah. No, this was about an exchange of power. Those people yeah. were all just tools of, uh, were just talismans yeah. uh, to, to that end. They're right? the madmen now, and uh, George Wallace had nothing on them. I remember when George Orwell is, has wrote the book on this, he, George was, an, was a liberal. We forget that. John 3.17. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.